Thank you so much, God, for um, who you are. Thank you, God, that we can come now to you and just uh, um, focus on uh, uh, just understanding you a little bit better. And I pray this morning, God, as we um, just dive into your word and as we uh, just want to unpack uh, how glorious you are and how amazing you are and uh, some of your characteristics. And I just ask God that you would give us abilities to understand as much as possible. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, as you may know, our church, Deer Run Church, we are part of the e, um, Evangelical Mennonite Mission Conference, the EMMC. And in 2001, they published the EMMC um, along with another conference. We published the Confession of Faith. And these are the 12 statements about what we believe. And uh, we are going to take the next two months and just go through those. And it's very, very important for each of us to understand what it is that we believe um, regarding a number of different uh, key statements. And so this morning, uh, we're going to dive right in and we're going to try to fit everything in. I think each one of these statements, we could take a month and unpack them because they are such significant things. And so we're going to start today by talking about God. And the question that we want to wrestle with is what do we believe about God? What do you believe about God? What do we as a church, what do we as a congregation believe about God? We're going to take the position that there is a God, and that's where I'm going to start from. And, and you, may, you may not agree with that. I'm not sure where you, where you come from, and maybe some of you here wrestle with, is there a God? And so we're not going to spend time this morning defending the existence of God, but rather we're going to start from the position that God does exist and build on that. So here's what our confession of faith says or states about who God is or, or, or about God. Here's what it says. We believe in the one holy and loving God, filled with glory, power, and wisdom, who lives in eternal trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, who created, and, who created and sustains the physical and the spiritual universe, desires a relationship with us. Now that is theology language. And uh, we may, uh, wanna, uh, you may want to wrestle with that a little bit because there's a lot you know, put into that statement. I know that every single word, um, the people that put this together said that they would be able to defend every word because every word was in there intentionally and it was um, put there the way that it was supposed to be. That is the statement that we make regarding what we believe about God. And in that statement, you see four different categories. First is the characteristics of God. You know, one who is holy and loving. The second is the Trinity of God, and we'll unpack that more. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and one God, though. Third is the creator and the sustainer of the earth. And fourth is his desire to have a relationship with us. And so because of time, let's dive right in. Let's look at the characteristics of God, because I think for many people, they're their view of God is not who God actually is. I think some people have this view of God as a grumpy old man in a distance who yells at kids when they walk across his yard. I really think that that's kind of the image that they have of God, someone who, who really isn't fun, someone who, who doesn't really have any joy, and he's just this grumpy old guy trying to keep everything together. And I think as you will see very quickly that that is not at all who our God is. Our God, we, the characteristics of God, we could spend many, many uh, weeks talking about those things because what I'm going to mention here this morning are only a few. The first one we want to focus on is that God is holy. 
God is holy. I want you to listen to Revelation chapter 4, verse 6. This is the Apostle John. This is the revelation that he received from Jesus. And, and look at how, create, uh, how heaven is worshiping God. It says this in verse 6. In, this, in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. Now, some of you are maybe immediately getting stuck on the imagery, and so I want you to just listen rather, not for all the little detail imagery and what they may mean, but I want you rather to listen to what are these creatures doing. The first creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third was like a face of a, like a man, the fourth like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under their wings. And look at what they're doing. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Okay, so that's the four living creatures. Now look at what happens next. When the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 12 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is how heaven, every single day, worships the holiness of God. God is awesome. God is worthy of our praise and our worship and our faithfulness. I think that we need to start with the holiness of God because the holiness of God encompasses so many other things because we could talk about the righteousness of God. We could talk about the justice of God. But if God is holy, all those things are part of that. All those things are, are included because God, as a holy God, he will always make the right call. As a holy God, he doesn't show favoritism. As a holy God, he doesn't lose his temper. As a holy God, all the righteousness and all those things are part of who he is. Our God is a holy God. He is completely holy. But the interesting thing with that, that, that does not make him unapproachable. But I think we often forget how holy he truly is, and we, we see him more as this unapproachable being because when we think of his holiness, and especially as Christians, when we are so aware of the sin in our lives and the struggles that we have, and then to consider that we have this all-holy God, it's easy for us to picture him as someone who is unapproachable, someone who, who we could not even have a relationship with, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. God is supreme and does not tolerate any rivals. He has no rivals. God is holy and calls all people to be imitators of his holiness. See, he's not just saying, hey, I'm over here, I'm holy, and you guys just do whatever you want, and you don't need to have a relationship with me, and again, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but he wants us to be imitators of his holiness. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle, Apostle Paul says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, some translations, they say, be imitators of God, therefore. We are called to imitate God, the Im to imitate his holiness. We are to walk in, in a relationship with God in such a way that, that if he is holy, that we would not live deliberately in sin. God is 
a holy God. And I think that one of the things that I trust when you hear that, that gives you comfort in recognizing that and, and seeing that when you've given your life to someone, you have given your life to someone who will not wrong you, who will not do you wrong in any way, because his holiness would, would prevent him from ever doing such a thing. Another thing, another characteristic of God is that he is love. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, look at how Jeremiah writes. It says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. And some translations say loving kindness. I love those verses because there are times in our lives where maybe we don't feel so lovable. And we don't feel like anyone loves us in this beautiful picture of God saying, no, no, no. I have loved you with an everlasting, there's no end to my love. And it wasn't just that I forced you to come after me or I forced you to come close to me. I drew you with, me, with my love closer to me. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Whoever does not love God does not know God. Look at what he says next. Because God is love. You've heard me say this before, I think, that <clears throat> love is not just something that God does. Love is who God is. Look at this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. <clears throat> this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. For no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You are in the presence today of an all-loving God. And again, I don't know where you sit in life and what your circumstances are right now or how you feel about yourself. So maybe the holiness of God is something that you feel very threatened by. Because he's so holy and we're, we're, we're often so unholy. But I hope that this morning, that his, the second characteristic that we're looking at is his love. I hope that you can get past maybe that obstacle of not feeling holy enough. That you would know this morning that you are not only loved by a, a holy God, but you are loved by a God who sent his son Jesus into the world. So that there could be no separation between you and him. The other characteristic is that he is an uncreated God. God's surpassing greatness means that God's life is uncreated. Everything was created by him, but he himself has no creator. He has always been. This is where you get into the fun stories with little kids, you know, because they're like, how does that work? Because see, we're so human, we recognize that we recognize the, the, the phases of life. We see birth, we see death, and we see the phases in between. So it's difficult for us sometimes to imagine a being who is not confined to the phases that we are comfortable with and we are familiar with. But God does not have any of those in his life. He does not have a creator. He does not have a beginning. He does not have an in. He is. He says, my name is I am. He always is. We can unpack that also, but we must keep going. He is unending. He is not affected by time. Wrap your head around that for a moment. Every single one of you this morning probably looked at your clock a few times because you were in danger of running late. Unless you're like those people who are here at 8 o'clock wondering when the doors will open. We don't understand you, but we're glad there are some of you like that here. But, uh, you know, most of us, 
at some, you know, at some point in our lives, we are affected by time. We're looking at our watch. We're looking at our phones. I'm glancing at that thing constantly right now because I know the constraint of time. Wrap your head around the fact that God is never in a hurry. He is, he has no ending. Time does not affect him. What an amazing thing to know. He is life-giving. He is the giver of life. Every breath we take is a gift from him. He was the one who gave breath and breathed life into mankind. He is all-knowing. I'm going to tell you now the three big O's of theology. The first one is that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And this is the attribute by which he knows all things, present and future. That, that what is hidden from human sight is still known to God. Scripture stresses the wisdom of God in all his actions and often guards, grounds this in his all-embracing knowledge. There is nothing that we could ever think or do or wrestle with that God does not know about or know the solution to. Now again, that can sound scary. That means everything I did bad he knows about. So we could look at it from that angle, which is not a very encouraging angle, or we could look at it from the other angle going that here is a God who we can approach about every problem and every complication we have in life, and he knows the answer. Another one is that he is all-present, the omnipresence of God. Let me jump before that. Sorry, the all-knowing God. The um, No, I'm right, sorry. Ooh. Um, the um, the. The omnipresence of God is the attribute by which he is everywhere. There is no place mankind can go where God isn't. God is everywhere. Isaiah paints this picture of God sitting in heaven, and he says heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Now that image maybe doesn't you know, draw a very pretty picture for us that we are just the footstool of God, but this is a beautiful picture of saying that God is so vast that he literally is using planet earth as his footstool and he's sitting in heaven. What an amazing image of how great and how um, big our God is. And then the third O is that he is all powerful. The omnipotence of God is the attribute which says that he is all powerful. There is nothing that God cannot do. There's nothing too difficult for him. Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, if we want to be silly, this is where we get into those silly questions. Is, so if God is all-powerful, could he make a rock so big that he couldn't lift it? Wow, that's deep. You know, could he outpower himself? See, you guys are all going to be, hmm. I see your thinkers are all going now. How will this work? I've never thought of that. It's kind of like the question, if they can make the little you know, um, black box on a plane undestructible, why don't they just make the whole plane out of that stuff, you know? Um, it's one of those things, you know, whatever. If 7-Eleven is open 24 hours a day, why put locks on the door? We're way off topic. Let's continue. <laughs> all right. So those are the three big O's of God. And then one more that we can look at really quickly, and this is another important one, is that God is free. God is free to accomplish his divine purpose. Look at how Isaiah chapter 46 verse 8 says it. He says, remember this, keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. <laughs> um, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God. There is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end 
from the beginning, from ancient time, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. For the east, I, from the east I summon a bird of prey from a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, I will bring about. What I have planned, I will do. Now again, this, this sounds like a, could sound like a domineering figure. But what I love about this is that what is God's plan? His plan is to redeem humanity. So again, if God is free to accomplish his divine purpose, and if his divine purpose is to redeem humanity, if there's anyone sitting in here today and you feel that your sin is too great or you are too far from God, know today that God is free to bring you into a relationship with him, so surrender to him. The only thing that God cho chooses to not do is to break your personal will. I find that amazing. That God at this very moment could just force us all to do exactly what he wants. But his divine will is that he would provide a way for humanity to come to him. He has done that. So every single one of us now have that option to be saved by him. So now as we looked at the characteristics of God, let's look really quickly at a really simple topic. And that's the trinity of God. We'll just wrap this one up in like five minutes because it's easy. The Trinity of God. God is the one true God who requires our complete, loyal, uh, complete loyalty and devotion. Within the unit of God, there is a threefold harmony of relationship. God is three in one. Okay, so there is one God, the being of God, and then there are three persons, the persons of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we say there is one God, one being, three persons. The Christian faith is unique in making the claim that God is one and yet there are three who are God. Okay, you following me so far? Not if you are. The Christian faith is unique in this claim that there is one God but three who are God. Not three gods, but three who are one God. Got it? Perfect. All right. God's oneness and his threeness seem like a contradiction. And so we're not going to pull any pretzels up here. I'm not going to light a little fire. I'm not going to, you know, take a piece of egg, you know, or an egg and, you know, try to explain the Trinity with those things because that's often some of the imagery that's used. But I think it's very important for us to recognize that there are three persons of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but only one God. And so who are these, uh, and what do these three persons of God do? The first thing you need to understand is that they are in complete harmony. They are completely equal. There is never a power struggle. There is never where one wants to do one thing and the other wants to do another thing. And you see this so often in the life of Jesus where Jesus says, my only plan in this life is to accomplish the will of the Father. He was never in turmoil. When he prayed and said, God, if there is another way, show it to me. He wasn't saying, I don't want to do this necessarily. He's saying, if there is something that I'm not able, that I'm not seeing, show it to me. And when God didn't, he immediately was obedient to the will of God. Because God and Jesus are one. 
So what does the father do? The father rules, plans, initiates, creates, cares for, and judges creation. The son entered the world to teach, heal, suffer, die, rise, and redeem. And the Holy Spirit indwells, empowers, resurrects, transforms, blesses, and guides the new creation. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, 19, we read, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The persons of God, the Trinity, unite the creation, the redeeming, and the life-giving activities of God in one. What a beautiful thing. That we have a God, a Father, who sent the Son, a Son who gave the Spirit to the church. So everything that we have for life, we have. See, nail that down in five minutes. Let's move on to the next one. The next one is that he is the creator and the sustainer. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke and everything that we see, everything, the stars, the planets, everything was formed. Next week, Pastor Peter is going to unpack creation and he'll do a much better job of that topic than I will. But we read in Genesis chapter 1 that God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 26, we read that then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the, in the sea and the birds in the, in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit participated in creating and sustaining the world. Creation expresses God's mind, you know, um, creation expresses God's mind like a painter, exp a painting expresses the mind of creation, of, of the artist. If you have this image again that God is a dull, boring God, just go for a drive through the mountains. If you have this image that God is not creative, that God is just doing the same thing day after day, just go sit outside on a nice starry night and you'll see the beautiful, the splendor of our God. Our family, uh, we love the, um, the BBC Planet Earth, and if you've never seen any of those, uh, you got to watch them because I think there's Planet Earth 1 and 2 now, and then there's also life. And yeah, they take everything from the perspective of evolution, but you know, we, we can easily get past all that. But what these um, videos do is they show you these amazing things. They, these camera crews go into these places where you and I will probably never go, and it is just amazing and astounding at the creativity of God and how he sustains things. Look at the psalmist in Psalm 104. It says, praise the Lord my soul, the Lord my God. You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariots and rides on the wings of the wind. This guy's having fun. He makes the wind his messenger, flames of fire his servants. He sets the earth on its foundation. It cannot be moved. You cover it with the watery depths of his great garment. The water stood before the mountains, above the mountains. Here's a God who has just, he uses all of this as, as if it's his play area. What an amazing Image. And if you continue reading Psalm 104, you read about all the other ways that the psalmist describes how God works with that which he has created. We depend on God for everything, our land, our air, our water, our food, shelter, friends, and life itself. We depend on God for all of these things because he is the creator of them and he is the sustainer of all of those things. 
And then we go to this last one, which is God's relationship with us. And here is where my mind just gets blown. We've just looked at all of what God is and the things he can do and, and just how amazing he is. And you would think that the last thing he would want to do is associate with us. Think about it. He can just ride the wind and yelp and have fun. You know, and whatever he'd want, he can just, he could make. And then he decides to make man in his image. Because he wanted to have a relationship with us. God wants a relationship with us. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. And this is right after they've sinned. Heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Look at what God does. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? What an amazing thing to hear of all the things. He could, you know what, I'm just going to go and I'm going to go play in the clouds. But he doesn't do that. He knows what's happened. He knows what's taken, uh, what's taken place. And so what does he do? Instead of, you know, sneaking up behind him going, boo, I caught you. You know, instead of, you know, yelling from a distance and removing every barrier, what does God do? He walks among the garden and he calls out to these two, where are you? Because God wants to have a relationship. The God of the universe is seeking us out. Those who he created, he is seeking us out. We can discover the faithfulness the fullness of his life by entering into a lifelong covenant with God. God sent his one and only son. Check out Romans chapter 5 verse 6. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to get your life in order first. You didn't have to pay a certain amount of money. You didn't have to travel a certain distance at just the right time. Even in the midst, even in our deepest mess, even when we were still at our worst, this holy, loving God who creates and sustains all things, this God that we cannot even fathom says, I want them. Even in their worst moment, now is the time, go get them. Go provide a way for them to come to know me. Knowing God with this kind of intimacy involves everything. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you are here today and you have a relationship with God, but you've only given him a part of you, you, you just, you've just given him your behavior, you just behave a certain way, your heart's not really there, you are missing out on the full intimacy that you can have with God. Jesus was asked once, what was the greatest command? And he said, the, the greatest command is this, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: Love the Lord your God. Think about who he's talking about right now. We just discussed him briefly. Love the Lord your God, the God that we've just described, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In other words, love him with everything you have. So this is a quick glimpse, and I invite the worship team to come back up. So this has been a really quick glimpse into who God is. But I trust that this morning you will leave here to study him more, to understand him more, 
And we are going to continue to provide. I don't know if they're in the back today, but we're going to provide for you these, the confession of faith. And we're also going to provide for you the Christian life books. Um, and we really want you to, to study these more, to understand God uh, as best as you can. But I trust that you leave here today just aware again of how awesome our God is. And you would just live your life fully surrendered to him. Not because you have to but because he's drawing you to. This is what he wants. He wants that intimate relationship with you. And if you're here today and, and don't have a relationship with, you, uh, with him, I would just remind you that like with Adam and Eve, God is wandering and he's calling and saying, where are you? Because he wants to have that relationship with you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you that we can call on you, and we can worship you. I pray as we sing this sound, a song now that we would just sing it in celebration of your greatness. In Jesus' name.